This last, uh, two weeks ago, I was having a conversation with some of my friends, and they're, uh, here's how I would categorize them as far as their religious belief goes, is um, it's a husband and wife, and the wife, I would say, would be kind of spiritual and religious, and almost kind of like an Oprah Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? Are you familiar with Oprah? You know who Oprah is, right? Super Soul Sunday? <laughs> no? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay, um, sort of Christian. I would say she believes in God and yet, um, and likes Jesus, thinks he's great, but not really like dedicated or anything. Okay, and then the husband, kind of a, I would say agnostic, possibly deist, all right? Believes there's a God out there, not really sure if you can know him, him, her, it, whatever. And so we started to have this conversation about faith and and I started to just ask them questions, all right? Um, well, you know, what do you believe? Do you believe there's a God? Yeah, I think so. Okay, all that kind of good stuff. I said, what about afterlife? Do you believe that there's an afterlife? And, and both of them say, yeah, yeah, there's an afterlife. I said, okay, great. Uh, explain to me um, the afterlife. Is there a heaven and a hell? And the wife is the one answering most of the questions. She's like, definitely a heaven, probably a hell. And I go, oh, okay, that was spicy. Tell me about that. And so she begins to tell me the process of heaven and hell and how you get there. And, and it all kind of boiled down to this. is It's kind of like the scales of justice, you know, where one weighs higher than the other. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And so she goes, you know, it's kind of like that where if you do more good than bad, then you get in. I said, oh, okay. And then what happens like if you don't? Then you go to hell? And she said, yeah, but I don't think you stay there. I think you eventually get to go to heaven um, through some process or something. I said, ooh, okay, great. Uh, and so she's telling me more and more about this. And I said, well, um, where, where did you get this idea from? Where did you get the idea of this concept of God? And, and I asked, do you think there's one true religion? And do you think, not the genes, but you know, the, the, the actual thing? Do you even know what that brand is anymore? Is that even a thing? Seven genes. Do you know what seven genes are? Are you familiar with these? Uh, true religion, are those still around? Joe's genes, are those still a thing? I don't know. Okay, all right. <laughs> I just wanted to see what, I'm wearing Levi's. Do you know what Levi's are? Are we familiar with those? All right, God bless you. Here we go. Carhartt, do you know what? No? All right, all right. Um, so where was I? True religion, that's right. Um, so I, I asked her, do you think there's one true religion? No, no, I don't think anything like that. And I said, well, where did you come up with all of these beliefs about heaven and hell and religion and God and all that kind of stuff? And she said, well, I don't know. I just, I just kind of, this is what I think to be true. And I said, whoa, you are putting all of your hope and your faith and possible eternity into, mm, I don't know, this feels right to me. That is a lot of self-confidence right there, you know? That is, I'm not even sure if I can like sport a new leather jacket or not, and you're determining uh, eternity just based on how you feel, all right? So like that's a lot of confidence in yourself. And so we began to talk about this idea of, um, of Jesus because I posed this question. Um, I was trying to listen and trying to kind of feel them out and see where they're at. And, and so I said this, I said, you know, that's great. Those are interesting beliefs. And man, that's a, a lot of creativity. But what do you do about Jesus? What, what do you think about Jesus? Like, where does he play into this whole thing? And they kind of went, oh, I don't really know. I said, well, let me get, let me get a little more clear on this. As I think Matt spoke about this a few weeks ago. In John 14, 6, it says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What do you think about that? Because Jesus is making this huge claim about who he is. He is saying that if you want to get to heaven, if you want to know God, it is only going to be through a relationship with him. And they both kind of just went, oh, I don't know. That's crazy. You know, that's a, that's a lot to think about. I said, yeah, because here's the thing with Jesus is eventually you have to make a decision about who Jesus is. 
And I've realized that the more people I talk to, whether they're Christians or not, everybody likes Jesus. They think he's a great guy. They like his teaching. They like what he has done for the world and how he cared for other people. But when you put quotes like this, where Jesus is claiming to be the only way to God, people kind of step back and go, ooh, I don't know about that. And no one wants to say, no, 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 that's not true at all. That's ridiculous. Because Jesus puts you into a corner where he says, all right, am I lying about who I am? Uh, Am I a crazy person or am I telling the truth? And no one wants to say he's a liar or a crazy person because they like all the other stuff that he does. And so they put them in this really uncomfortable place. And so when we have to think about this idea, and the the whole concept is is called exclusivity, or it's called the exclusivity of the gospel, where the gospel claims there's only one true religion, only one way to know God. And it makes us feel as modern people pretty uncomfortable because we live in this post-enlightened, Western, individualistic culture, pretty uh, politically correct. And so when we say that there is only one true religion, if you say that in the public sphere, that sounds really intolerant. Like you can't say that. And there's something emotional about it in which when, when we claim that there is one religion that is correct and all the others are false, you are really saying billions and billions and billions of people are wrong about their God and could be condemned to hell, if we're just being totally honest here. That feels very uncomfortable. Even saying it in a Christian church, you kind of go, ooh, I definitely wouldn't want to have that conversation with my friends. But what's interesting about it is, this idea that, uh, that we're telling people they're wrong and it feels uncomfortable is really only a problem that we experience in the West. Because if you went to the Middle East and you said, hey, um, do you believe that there's only one true God? And they would say, yes. And everybody else is condemned to hell if you don't believe in it. Yes. And do you have any problem with the fact that all these other people don't believe in that God? And they would say, no. Why would we have a problem with that? See, it's only in our culture, so we have to realize it's a contextual thing that we have an issue with the fact that Jesus claims to be the only true God. And here's why, and let me give you a little background information. Remember, we agreed that we were going to go a little deep, so here's, what, here's the deal. Is if you look at the modern uh, cultural West, we have this idea, and it's a really good thing. It's called religious pluralism, and when it is a social expression, it's a really good thing for society. So what I mean by this is uh, religious pluralism is we can practice whatever religion that we want freely, and we will respect all religions and treat them equally, right? That is a really good thing, because what happens is if one group gets power over another group, they can oftentimes abuse that group, but yet it doesn't matter how big or small your religion is, you're going to be treated fairly. Great. One of the best things about, um, about uh, the United States. But the problem is we have taken it from this social expression to a truth claim. So here's what this looks like. It goes from, we live in a society where all beliefs, and this is very crucial, so listen, where all beliefs are given equal freedoms, okay, so let me say that again so you don't miss it, we live in a society where all beliefs are given equal freedoms, and then we have switched it from that to, we live in a society where all beliefs are seen as equally true. Now, do you see the difference between those? It almost seems like a a fine nuance, but it is a a huge worldview of significance because it goes from all religions should be treated as equal to all religions are seen as truly, uh, truly valid. And that is a big difference, and that is a big problem. And so you've heard it stated, maybe you've even said it yourself before, you say things like, what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me, and, and Oprah says it best, there are, a million, there are millions of ways to be a human being and many paths 
to what you call God. There couldn't possibly be just one way. So that's kind of the uh, politically correct religion of the United States, is whatever religion is true for you is true for you. Whatever religion is true for me is true for me. But I think the problem with this is, is that uh, if you applied this principle to the other arenas of your life, it would very clearly uh, become a, uh, not just incomplete, but irrational belief. So let me give you this example is think about if I was talking to my daughter, she's five years old, and she's the cutest little thing in the world. She just went to um, the farm down at Orange County Fairgrounds for her field trip the other day. Oh my gosh, her pictures of her were, <laughs> just little chicks and stuff, so cute. Anyway, let's imagine that her and I are having a conversation, and she's going, Daddy, you know, I have come to believe that Skittles are made by unicorn tears. Fine, that sounds like a pretty valid belief to me. And we begin to discuss it, and we begin to talk about it, and I go, okay, Skittles are unicorn tears. And I go, well, babe, I, you know, I'd hate to be intolerant. I hate to be judgmental. Um, I hate to tell you that you're wrong, but I don't think that that's how, in fact, I think there's like a really large corporation that makes these in a factory somewhere, mass produce them, and, uh, and that's where you get Skittles. It's not unicorn tears. And she looked back at me, and she goes, Dad, you are so close-minded. Ridiculous which she would say as a five-year-old, by the way. Now, if you put it in that context, you go, that, that's, just, that's just silly, right? Because although she may truly believe that Skittles are from unicorn tears and she believes it with her whole heart, it doesn't change the fact that it's simply not true. You have to have a true belief, that which corresponds with reality in order to, uh, in order to, hold, or in order to hold a true belief, but she doesn't. And so it wouldn't be intolerant for me to call out the fact that what she believes does not correspond with what is actually true about the world. Now, why is it different when we start talking about God and religion? If the God that you believe in does not truly exist or the religion that you believe in is proven to be false, why would it be intolerant or arrogant to simply state the fact that it's not true? Just like we're able to call out other things that are false or untruths in the world, we should be able to say the same thing about God. And so if I came back to my uh, conversation with my friends, um, I asked them a, a couple more questions. I said, I said, why do you, uh, well, you know, let me, let me give you two contradictory kind of claims that's happening here. Here's the problem with this view. One is it's contradicting claims among religions. They can't all be true. So have you ever taken a world religions class? Maybe you're taking one right now. Have you ever taken one? Anybody ever taken a world religions class? Yes, a couple of you guys. The rest of you guys just haven't paid attention. Okay, good. Uh, world religion classes were it was one of my favorite classes because when I was in a Bible school under, undergrad, we got to go and visit all these different religious institutions. And so we would go to mosques and we would go to synagogues and we would get to sit down with all different types of religious uh, uh, people and start to talk through what they believed and what they didn't believe. And it is fascinating to see the differences between all the religions. And so if you start to look at some of the major religions of the world, you start to look at like Hinduism, for example, there are 330 million gods in the Hindu uh, belief system. Or if you look at uh, Buddhism, there's either no God or they're agnostic about the existence of God. Judaism, they have one God, and yet when you say that Jesus is God, they will, uh, they will say that you are blasphemous. Islam says the greatest sin you can commit is believing that Jesus was God, and they also claim that Jesus never died on the cross. And then Christianity centers on the very thing that Islam rejects. 
And so when you look at all of these truth claims, because they're all making truth claims about the world. Some are saying that God does not exist. Some are saying that uh, Jesus is not God and to claim so is heresy. Some are saying that um, there is one true God and, uh, and his, his name is Allah and Muhammad is his servant. And okay, all of these are making claims about who God is. And they can't simply all be true because they're in direct opposition. Is there one God or is there 330 million gods? Was Jesus God or was Jesus not God? You can't, you can't say that all religions are true. It just simply doesn't make sense. And so some people will come back to me and say, okay, um, maybe they're not all true, but they're all like half true. That each religion is just getting this tiny conception of God. They're just getting this little picture. And it's an incomplete picture, but every religion is getting somewhat uh, of a piece of the puzzle of who God is. The problem with that is the only way that you can know that that is true, that all religions just have a piece of the puzzle of who God is, is to have the complete picture yourself, to know what the whole picture looks like put together. But that's the very thing that you're claiming no one has. And so it's a self-defeating view. Either no one has a picture, or you have the picture, or everybody's got a piece of the puzzle, or it just simply ends up uh, imploding on itself. And so to claim that all roads lead to God, I just don't think works. And we continue on to look at what Jesus has to say. Jesus is telling uh, his disciples towards the end of his life. He goes, hey, guys, um, there is a place that I'm about to go, and you can't go with me. And here's what you need to know. He says this and uh, continues on. He says, I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to Father except for me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so he says, you know, If you want to know God, look no further than looking at me. That I am God in a bod, if you will. You can can use that if you want to in the future. Or don't, that's fine. Um, But here's what's great about the Christian faith. And by the way, this all comes out of this uh, long journey that I had for myself where I had to, in my 20s, like many of you, had to figure out what I believe. Do I believe in Christianity? Do I just do this because this is what I was raised to believe? Or is there really reasons to believe all this stuff? And so it took me on a really long um, kind of a wormhole that I went through, and I had to figure out what do I believe, and eventually it came to the fact that I went, okay, I do believe this, and there's reasons why I have to believe this. And a lot of people, when they look at faith, they think, well, it's just blind faith. You believe it because you're raised to believe it or because you just simply trust in this. You just have this faith, and that's all there is to it. And yet what's different about Christianity in comparison to all the other religions of the world is all the other religions say, I spoke to God, trust me. I have a revelation from God, and this is what he has to say, trust me. Look at uh, Buddha, he sits under a tree and then claims to be enlightened. Muhammad went into a cave, came out claiming he had a revelation from God called the Quran, and Joseph Smith found some golden tablets that magically disappeared after he read them. All these religious beliefs are a prophet coming and saying, I am speaking on behalf of God. You got to trust me on this one. And I just go, I can't have that kind of trust. I just don't trust you. Jesus says, I have come. I am God in the flesh, and I'm going to prove it to you. Here's how. I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise myself. Now, if someone is able to do that, if they're able to, one, um, not just claim that they're God, but able to prove it, I think that's something that you have to take pretty seriously. And so in Acts 4, 12, it says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, the scriptures are clear. It says Jesus came, 
He claimed to be God. He died, resurrected, and so he is the only one that has the authority uh, to claim that he is God incarnate. He's the only one that's actually proven it. So many people at this point will probably stop and say, okay, Cody, here's an issue that I have with that kind of belief. And I was actually talking, I was at a leader meeting earlier today, and I was talking to some leaders, and, and we were talking about this very issue, and they were kind of wrestling with it. They said, well, what about like people who have never heard before? All right, so let's say Jesus is the only way, and I can only know, to know God and get into heaven through Jesus, but what about people who are like indigenous, and they're in the middle of nowhere, and they've never even heard of the name Jesus? What do you do with those people? Maybe you've wondered this yourself. Are they condemned to hell because they were just born in the wrong place at the wrong time? That seems pretty unfair. Maybe a couple, maybe possible answers. One answer would be something like, you know, God understands the condition of their heart, and he understands that if they had received the message and the gospel that they would have accepted it, and he knew that. He knew, you know, kind of by general revelation or natural theology that the condition of their heart would have accepted Christ, or... And this is my favorite one is that God knows how each one of us will respond to him. And so he places us in a specific time and location so that we will have the opportunity to accept or reject him. That you were born in the family in Cyprus or wherever you were born, you ended up here, that you were born here so that you could hear the gospel message. And it's up to you whether you accept it or you're going to reject it. But whatever the... Whatever the, the, the answer is to this incredibly complex puzzle of what about those who haven't heard, all that we need to know is there are lots of answers, but that doesn't make uh, any difference to us because we're sitting here and we do hear the gospel. And so we have to figure out what are we going to do with it? Are we going to take this message seriously or not? And so Jesus kind of draws this line and he says, okay, are you with me? Or are you against me? Now, there is a, a passage in the Bible that scares the absolute crap out of me. And I'm going to give it to you tonight because that's just the kind of mood that I'm in right now. And so uh, this passage is in, uh, in Matthew, which if you've been around here for a while, I went through Matthew for like three years. Anyway, um, and, and Jesus gives this incredibly harsh and like kind of rattling illustration. Here's what he says. In Matthew 7, 13, he says this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. And so um, he's painting a picture here. He's trying to give us a word picture. And he says, okay, there's going to be gates. And one gate is going to be the gate that is the entrance into heaven. And the other one is the entrance into destruction or hell. And here's, here's how this plays out in, real, in the real world. He says this, enter through the narrow gate, narrow gate being heaven. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. So he says there's going to be two gates. There's going to be a wide gate and there's going to be a narrow gate. The wide gate is the gate that is going to enter into destruction. And the reason why it is so wide is because it is the most well-traveled. So I used to uh, dirt bike and we'd go out into the desert. And um, the closer to camp that you got, the bigger the trails would be, right? Because there was more people traveling back and forth through these trails. And then the further out that you got, the smaller the trails would be. This is also the same on freeways, right? The freeway that's more traveled, usually we expand it to accommodate for more people that are going to be traveling on it. He says, the same is true with this road and this gate. It's going to be wide because this is where the majority of people are going to enter through, which is just an absolutely, if you think about it, mind-boggling statement. Jesus is saying a majority of people in the world are going to enter into the gate of destruction. And I, I, I like to 
maybe stop and think about what this would look like. If we were to continue on this word picture and I was able to sit down with Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, tell me more about this gate. One of the questions I would ask is, is there like a sign on the gate? What's it say? Like, I know it's wide and there's a wide one. There's like a narrow one, but like, is it like, do they look the same? Is there any words on there? What do I, and if I were to follow this illustration, I think that uh, within our context, maybe the gate would say, welcome to the Disney afterlife. The happiest place after Earth. <laughs> Just a, uh, oh, okay. Because uh, I wouldn't imagine that this big gate where it, where it leads to destruction is going to say like "Welcome to Hell." Dun 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 dun. You know, like and there's people like ah with a sickle, you know, at the thing. And I, I, I don't think that's what it would look like. I think that um, if we were to follow this analogy on through, it would be like. Ah, the Disneyland of the afterlife. It's the happiest place after Earth where you get to rule, you know? And it's just like, oh my God. Like, I, I imagine that people are literally running through this gate like, yeah, we've made it, you know? Because no one in this world, no one in this world is selling you hell. No one's going, guys, let's live a life of hedonism so that we could all rot in hell no one's doing that, right? I have yet to find a worldview that advocates for that. I even watch, okay, this is, I watch a lot of documentaries and stuff, especially on Netflix. And, um, and I watched one recently about Satanists, right? And here's, I go, who would want to be a Satanist? That just sounds crazy to me, right? Like, we worship the devil, right? I just don't get that. That's a, and it turns out that all these Satanists, they're actually just atheists. They don't even believe in the devil and whatever, because no one is selling you hell. They think the whole thing's ridiculous and it's just silly. And so, oh, we're going to worship Satan. But that, you know, that's just an imaginary figure out there. Because every worldview here is trying to sell you some type of paradise, that there's something grand and great out there. And Jesus says, unless it is me that they're selling you, all of those roads are going to lead to destruction. Now, this is, I gotta be honest, this is a very uncomfortable passage. It makes me uncomfortable just thinking about it. And yet Jesus says, you know, they're selling you something, but that's not what's gonna be on the other side of that. Yeah, they're selling you the good life and they're selling you um, YOLO and just go out there and have fun. That's, I know, that's so old, but whatever. What's a new, what's a new term? I, I'm so old now, I don't even know what's cool anymore. Cool. Either do you guys. All right. Um, and so, what'd you say? What is it? I heard you. That's right. You guys are as old as, you're old too. That doesn't work. I need somebody like 18, 19, who'd be like, oh yeah, freaking Okay, okay. Um, I heard one recently. What was it where you like, uh, was it, Matt, where's that one that I heard recently? Where'd you go? Oh, you heard this message. You're out. Okay, good. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Okay. Narrow gate. Wide gate. Okay. I think that the people who are selling us the wide gate are the people who are telling us, sure, all religions go to the same place. Live your life. Be happy. In fact, um, there's an incredible book and study by a Notre Dame uh, professor where he talks about the religion of the day. And I actually ended up talking to my non-Christian friends about this because I said, the religion that you believe in actually has a name. You didn't make it up. Well, uh, in fact, we kind of, as American society, we made it up. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. 
And the idea is this, is that we believe that there is a God who exists and he created and ordered the world and he watches over us and he wants us to be nice and good and happy and um, pretty much follow all the, the, the rules of the major religions like the golden rule and, and the central purpose of creating us is so that we could be happy and we could feel good about ourselves and he's not really concerned about being involved in our life unless we need him and then everybody goes to heaven if they're good when they die. That is Moral therapeutic deism. That is, the, that is the religion of America. And the problem is, is that would be just one of the many religions that leads to the wide gate. It's not true. We made it up. There's no reason to believe any of these things are true. All of these things lead to destruction. And Jesus warned us. He said, people are going to try to sell you the wide gate. In fact, it's going to be difficult to enter into the narrow gate. Is There is going to be obstacles along the way, verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Terrifying. If that does not scare the crap out of you, you're not listening. Because he says, the gate is small, the road is narrow, and only a few people are going to find it. It doesn't make it like, ah, you know what? You could stumble into heaven if you're lucky. You know, you might just be cruising along one day, doing your thing, and like, oops, I'm in heaven. <laughs> this is great. I just love this. That was such a journey. Oh, my goodness. You know, life's a journey. Dig it. Um, and then he goes on to discuss in the next verse. He says in verse 15, watch out for the false. Dude, this is getting so harsh. I don't even, you guys got to read the Bible. This stuff is so crazy. Goes on and he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Okay, dude, this is so gnarly. I know Matt's not going to preach this because he's like, I want him to like me. I don't care if you like me or not, so we're just going to go for it. All right, so um, he says that not only is it going to be difficult to find the entrance into heaven, and it's going to be a narrow gate, but there is going to be people who are going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. Come this way, this way. Actually, no, 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 that's not the path. This is the path over here. Or, oh, come walk with me. Yeah, we're walking together down the narrow road and are actually walking you into destruction. So not only is it difficult to find, and there's going to be obstacles along the way, but there's going to be people who are going to try to deceive you so that you do not enter into the narrow gate. Do you see, like, this is crazy. He's saying that this is some, one of the hardest things that you're ever going to do is continue to walk towards that narrow gate on that narrow path. See, a lot of us, we don't like this idea. I don't like this idea. And so here's what we've done especially as Christians, is I think that because this sounds tough, there's a lot of obstacles, there's deception along the way that we go, you know what? I don't like the idea of the, of the, 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 the large or the narrow. I'm going to propose a third way, the middle gate, right? And so we insert, ah, yes, but I found another way. It's called the middle gate, and so we're going to go down the middle road into the middle gate. We're not heathens. We're not doing these crazy things, partying like rock stars and popping bottles. We don't do that, no. <laughs> Nor are we these super religious, oh, legalistic people. We don't do that either. We're cool Christians who live the way that we want to, but we love Jesus as well. We drink a little, but we love the Lord, okay? Here's the illustration I would give you. Is remember the game Simon says when you were a little kid? You need to play this game where everybody plays okay, and Simon says this, do this, Simon says this, do this. You guys ever play? No, you guys are busy playing video games growing up or something. 
You can imagine it. Okay, did they have a video game called Simon Says? Do you recall this? Is this a thing that you guys did? No? All right. So if you imagine playing this game, and everybody's doing Simon Says, and there's like one kid over in the corner, like, let's say right here, okay? You're that kid. And everybody's doing it, and they're like, wow, we're having so much fun. Simon Says, ah, I didn't say it. You're out, right? They go, hey, why are you just sitting there right now? Why aren't you playing Simon Says? And your response is, I'm playing it in my heart. I'm playing Simon Says in my heart. Yeah, I'm not actually doing it, but I'm doing it in my heart. I would go, you're done. Uh, because that's not how this game is played. The game is played by you actually having to get up and play. You're going to have to participate. See, a lot of us, this is what we do in our Christian faith, is we go, you know, um, I know that Jesus says like to be sexually pure, and like I know he says I should go and serve, and that I should give my time and my money, and I, but like I'm super generous and loving towards Jesus in my heart. And Jesus is going, uh, what? That's not how this game is played. You actually have to live this out. You can't just love Jesus in your heart. Great, that's awesome. But you actually have to go and live like Jesus in order to play the game. Okay, let me give you another illustration. Let's imagine that my, uh, my daughter, I tell her to go upstairs and clean her room, which she's sort of learning how to do. And she comes back to me and she says, Dad, you know how you told me to clean my room? I go, yeah. She goes, you know, I memorized what you said. I even translated it into Greek. In fact, my friends are coming over right now, and we're going to discuss the very words that you told me as a small group. You proud of me? And I go, no, your room's still dirty. What, what are you doing? Because like, that's what we do, too. We go, oh, let's study the words of Jesus. Let's get in a small group, and we're going to talk about the words of Jesus. In fact, we're going to throw some Greek in there because that's deep, and, uh, and yet we're not doing it. It, you got to actually go out there and you got to practice this stuff. You actually have to go out there and play the game. See, the danger is that we come to places like this and we hear about Jesus and we get our Jesus time in and we learn some good Bible stuff and then we go out there and we don't live any differently. That is the path to destruction. That is the wide gate. That is not the narrow gate. You have made up a middle way and that doesn't exist. And so he says this, and this is the most terrifying part. Hopefully this keeps you up at night, just for one or two nights, though. Okay, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I think the way to summarize what this is called is this is called Christian atheism. You believe that God exists, except you act like he doesn't. See, you believe in Jesus, and if you're taking the theological quiz, you go, Jesus, Lord, uh-huh, and you go, oh, yeah, okay, heaven when I die, uh-huh, Bible, yup, into it, right? And you go through, and you make all the checklists, and yet it hasn't penetrated your heart. You don't know him. One day you may die and see him face to face, and this should scare you, not scare you because you have to earn your way um, to heaven. That's not the deal. There's nothing that you can do. There's no good deeds that you can do in order to get it. It's only through a relationship. And so what he's trying to say is, do you have that relationship or not? Will you one day look at Christ in the face and will he go, well done, good and faithful servant, welcome home, or will he say, I never knew you, get away? See, that should be something that not pushes you to try to earn your salvation. and try, That should push you to go, Lord, 
If there is something standing between me and you, please let me get rid of this. If there is something that is keeping me from having a relationship with you, if I'm just fooling myself and I'm just playing Christian, I don't want to do that any longer. See, I think everybody has to have those moments, at least occasionally, in which they go, is that me? Is that me? I just got to double check. Is that, Lord, I'm not that person, right? Because do you see what these people were doing who didn't know him? They were prophesying in his name. They were performing miracles. I don't think you've done those lately. They would be super Christians, at least from our perspective. And yet Jesus says, I don't, I don't know them. I don't know who these people are. See, that should motivate you to continue to pursue your relationship with Christ. You know, you shouldn't live with anxiety. You shouldn't always be going, oh my gosh, I think I'm, I don't know if I know. Jesus. No, no, no. Just go, Lord, if there's anything that's keeping me from you, from us having a relationship, help me to see that and get that out of here. Help me to check my heart. Help me to make sure that I am who you want me to be, that I am truly following you, that I'm not playing Christian, that I'm not doing this to get an ego boost or to help myself feel better about something that I've done, but this is because I truly do know you. See, I think uh, if we look at our society, society wants to do one of two things. They either want to get rid of God altogether or they want to make God into something that he's not, into something that they control, into something that looks more like them and bends towards their will. And if we are to take Jesus seriously, we look at this and we go, wow, he's talking with incredible authority. He comes along and he makes some audacious claims and he says that he is the only way and it's only through a relationship with him. And so I've got to really consider if that's true. And if that is true, I've got to make sure that I do. See, from God's perspective, if we were to look at it, uh, and I get this uh, kind of objection sometimes, which they go, you know, that just sounds so harsh. Why would God only make one way? How could God only make one way? There's billions of people. Why would he do that? But then if you look at it from God's perspective, think about this. God graciously creates us. He creates this incredible universe, this beautiful world that we get to live in. He gives us incredible gifts like love and reason and relationships and free will. And so he gives us all of these incredible things that we do not deserve. And then we as a uh, people, we reject God and we decide, you know what? I don't want God. I want to be my own authority in life. I don't need you. I can do this without you. And so we rebel in this thing called sin enters into the world. And instead of him going, you know what? I gave you incredible place, incredible gifts, and you rejected me. I'm going to wipe you out. Instead of doing that, which we definitely deserved, he says, I'm going to make a way for you to have a relationship with me again. I'm going to go down into human history, and I am going to give you a way back to me. And our response after all of that is, well, I want more ways. I want more ways. That way is not enough. I want you to give me multiple ways and ways in which I can be in more control of my life and I can decide what I'm going to do and it can be easier for me. From God's perspective, does that not just sound ridiculous? I created you, I gave you all of these things, you rebel against me, I make a way back and you're still complaining that that's not enough? No, that's ridiculous. And see, the good news about all this is, and it's harsh, and it's real, and it's scary, but here's the good news, is the reason for all of this, the reason why he allowed us to come back to him and he made a way, it was all motivated by love. Most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love is what paved the way for us to come back. Yes, it's a narrow road for us to get back, but it is a road in which we can get back 
to our creator. And so let me give you two things to finish up really quick. One is some of us, we need to enter into this relationship for the first time that we've been trying to pave our own way in life and we didn't realize it was headed towards destruction. Others of us, we've been going down this middle road and we need to repent and go, God, I've been trying to do half in, half out, my way, sort of your way. No, I need to submit, I'm done. Others of us, we have people in our lives that we know are headed towards destruction. And what we need to do is anything possible to get them out of the wide gate. When I think about the people in my life, and I thank God all the time because God has placed, and I, I believe strategically so, he has placed a lot of non-believers in my life in the last couple of years, a lot of people who don't know Jesus, don't come to church, anything like that, and it has uh, refreshed my love for not only him, but for people who don't know him. Because now I have a face, and maybe if you have been a Christian for a while, you've done this, is, um, yeah, you know that there's people out there in the world who don't know Jesus, and it's kind of this concept, and it's like, we should go and love on them. But when it's a family member or a friend, you go, no, it's not just out there people, it's people, it's this person. It's my mom, it's my dad, it's my neighbor, it's my brother, it's my best friend, it's my gym partner, it's my whatever it is. You start to put a face, and you go, oh. I gotta do everything that I can to stop them from heading down that path. Like, yes, they have free will, they're gonna do what they're going to do, but I want to know at the end of the day that I have had the conversations, that I have invited them to the church, that I have done whatever I can to stop them from heading in a very destructive and eternally, uh, eternal separation from God. I wanna do anything and everything that I can. And so my challenge would be is one, personally make sure that you know him, and the other is make sure that you are a person who is constantly introducing those who do not know him to him and potentially saving them from something that could be destructive. Let's pray. Lord God, as I think about these words, and it's words that I haven't visited in a little while, and um, man, I'm reminded of the, the seriousness of the gospel, is uh, oftentimes... Um, because of the incredible privilege that we have of living here in America and in, in this place and going to a church that's comfortable and it's fun and it's great. And we sometimes forget the significance of what is taking place here, that we are meeting the creator of the universe and that you have called us into a relationship. And you've called us to be people who go out and that we speak truth and love and we bring others into a relationship with you. And so, Lord God, I just pray that we would um, maybe have a, a new heart towards those who are not here yet, that we would have a fresh perspective, new eyes uh, to see those who are not in a relationship with you as people that we can influence and we can, um, we can introduce them to you. And so, Lord God, we thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for that incredible privilege and that partnership that you have invited us into. And Lord God, we just want to be good stewards of our relationships and, um, and the ministry that we've been given. In your name we pray. Amen.